Our first reading comes from Genesis, the first uh, chapter of the Bible in the Old Testament, beginning at the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The second reading comes from the New Testament, and it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Well, I imagine that uh, some thoughtful skeptics, uh, which is probably not the majority here, but uh, might look at my very title and see a problem. Which Christianity? Dada's Guide to the Christian Faith, yeah. Which one? Um, Is it the Anglican faith? Because uh, here we are in an Anglican church. but there are other churches, right? There is a uniting church up the road, Catholic church over there, the, the Hillsong. Uh, Data's Guide to which one of them? And I've had many people over the years um, say to me, either in public forums or especially on social media, uh, you Christians can't even work out what you believe. Why, why should I listen? You know, get back to me when you have some consensus and then I'll listen. Meanwhile, there are thousands of denominations, you're all fighting each other, which Christianity? Um, And I often just have to admit that there have been genuine disagreements uh, between the Christian churches around the world, Uh, and having just finished a book on the history of Christianity, uh, yep, I can verify there is quite a lot of difference, and sometimes they've come to fisticuffs over over those differences. But what I always try and point out to the person who's a bit sceptical about all this is that there is one way to summarise the Christian faith that is uh, approved by all the brands. Um, And it's the Apostles' Creed that we just uh, said together. Here is a three-stanza 83-word summary, which was uh, put together originally in the century immediately after the New Testament. And all the brands agree on it. This Apostles' 
creed is uh, held as a correct summary of the Christian faith by Anglicans, Presbyterians, uniting, Catholic, uh, uh, even Hillsong. I, I don't mean any disrespect by saying even Hillsong, but they tend to you know, be big on innovation, not, not tradition. But even they, back in 2015, started to say and sing the Apostles' Creed and put the creed into a song which, I kid you not, went to number one in Indonesia. The largest Muslim nation on earth. Here it is, or a bit of it anyway. Okay, it's not everyone's cup of tea, I, I understand, but uh, quite amazing. They're, they even say, yeah, this is, this is Christianity. It, it is true that Christians have disagreed on loads of stuff. But this 83-word summary captures the things all the brands agree on, the core of the faith. And it's a pretty big core, actually. Uh, It deals with the reality of God, the history of Jesus, and the life of the Spirit. And they're going to be my three uh, talks. Today, I just want to deal with the first stanza of the creed that we just said to each other, um, and deal with the reality of God, and then we'll take the next two points over the coming weeks. So today, let me just begin with the reality of God. We just said out loud, uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And obviously these lines were deliberately designed to recall the opening line of the Bible, which we also just heard. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can hear the echo of that in the Apostles' Creed. Um, The expression heaven and earth just means everything. Okay, that, that leaves nothing for anyone else to do, heaven and earth. That's uh, an ancient way of saying the universe. So the opening belief of the Christian faith is the belief that God made everything, uh, the universe. Now, I know that sounds like theology 101, but actually it is philosophical dynamite, And it can start a practical revolution in your life. And I want to try and convince you of that. Philosophically, it means that God is the source of the universe, not part of it. If God is the creator of heaven and earth, it means God is not part of heaven and earth. Just think of it logically. The source of time and space cannot be part of time and space. Otherwise, you would need to explain the source of that thing. The source of time and space must be external to it, must be uh, not a part of the universe. And so when Christians say they believe in God, they're not saying they believe in a super-duper being hiding somewhere in the universe. A God is not like the fairies at the bottom of the garden or Santa Claus or uh, Thor or Zeus. 
if these beings exist, they exist as beings in the universe. There is no sense in which they are said to be the source of all things. So if I can illustrate it, it would be a mistake to think that God was like this magic wardrobe hidden in the house of creation. And if you search long and hard, maybe with the right instruments, you ought to be able to find it. No, that doesn't really make sense. God is more like the architect of the house. And I think you'll agree, you don't find the architect hiding in your house somewhere. That would be quite creepy. It would make no sense to go through the house, open every door, go up into the attic, down to the basement, and declare the absence of the architect. All the while missing the more mysterious and amazing thing that you're in a house in the first place with uh, rooms and doors and windows, all of which speak about the mind of the architect behind the house. God is not part of the universe. God is the source, which has an implication, my second point. It means creation is a gift. If a God is the, the father of creation, then it means this creation is not accidental, haphazard, scary. It means it is a gift from the hands of a father. And the reason I, I want to uh, make this point is because in the ancient world, this was not believed. In the ancient world, uh, most cultures believed that creation was scary, capricious, accidental. I mean, the classic example from the biblical period is the Babylonian story of origins called Enuma Elish. Um, and to cut a long seven-tablet story short, um, it's basically a war of the gods. And the, the result of the war... The blood and guts of the war, the wreckage, is the creation. And the stars are one bit, the mountains are another bit. And the theme of Enuma Elish is that it's all haphazard and scary. And it's in this context that the Bible goes out of its way to say, mm -mm, the creation is the gift of a good God. And that's why there is this amazing repetition in Genesis chapter 1, the opening lines of the Bible, saying that everything is good. Uh, I think modern readers miss this detail, uh, because, uh, partly because of scientific debates that have entered into our consciousness, but also um, partly because we've grown so used to the idea of stuff being good. In fact, we, we call... Things, you know, that are sold on the market, goods, don't we? You ever thought about how that came into Western culture? To call things of the earth goods. It's entirely a, a biblical uh, inheritance. But anyway, winding back, um, if you were in the ancient world and you believed Enuma Elish, you believed everything was accidental and capricious, and Genesis opens up by saying, uh, God made the light and it was good, 
God made the seas, they're good too. God made the vegetables, they're good. God made the sun and the uh, moon, they're good. God created the great sea creatures, they're good. The wild animals, they're good. And then in the last line, just for the very slow people in the ancient audience, in case they missed it, it says God saw all that he had made and it was very good. If you miss this theme, the Bible is clearly saying creation is not wreckage. It's not accidental. It has come from a source. It has come from a father who is the creator of all these things. And they're good. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says the same thing. He's obviously reflecting on Genesis 1 when he says this. Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, etc. This perspective changes everything about how you think of goods, other human beings, the environment. This perspective challenges, I think, a a modern atheistic culture, just as much as an ancient pagan culture. Because even the Babylonians didn't go as far as um, Professor Richard Dawkins from Oxford, the world's most famous atheist. He famously said, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Imagine really believing that. Imagine, more to the point, living like you really believed that. The interesting thing is, Richard Dawkins doesn't live like he believes that. I've met him at an Oxford dinner for Dons. He's a very pleasant gentleman who loves his sherry just as much as the next Don at Oxford. He says there's no good, there's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. There's no good, there's no evil, there's no purpose. But can you really live like that? I don't know. Maybe people can. But it's in this context that the Apostles' Creed says, no, there is a source to all things, the Father Almighty, and therefore the things have significance. They are a gift to be received, as Paul said, with thanksgiving. Let me try and illustrate uh, this point and, and how it might change the way we think about life, because this is not just philosophy. This changes everything about how we think about stuff and each other. Uh, On one of my bookshelves at home is this uh, seemingly tacky, carved, wooden, three wise monkeys who see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil, and I've brought it with me. I quite like it. There aren't that many fans in my household of it. But, um, but I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's from India. It's wood-carved, hand-carved. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, but I imagine if I put it out at an East Linfield garage sale next weekend, um, what do you reckon I'd get? Um, I used to say $50, and people have gone, you kidding Ten? No. <laughs> okay. 
But whatever the uh, retail value of this uh, wooden object is, whatever it's actually physically worth, I, I wouldn't sell it for $10 or $50 or $1,000 uh, because actually this was a gift to me from my father. Uh, given to me, uh, I don't mean to shock or depress anyone, the year that he died in a plane crash. And so uh, for me, you know, being on Father's Day, this seems apt, um, this is brimming with significance far beyond its material value. When I see this, I see not just uh, the material value, not just the cultural value, not just the aesthetics. I, I see an object brimming with the significance of a gift of love. And I tell you that because when you come to believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, you look at all creation, not just for its material value or even for its aesthetics, but with a sense that everything, every person is brimming with the significance of a gift of love. And so I say, imagine living like you believed that. It changes everything. All of this has a flip side, which I think is crucial for understanding the Apostles' Creed, especially what we're going to do next week. But I'll just hint at it now. If all of life, if all of material reality and each other are gifts of a father, then it means things and living as bodies in this creation has immense significance, right? And positively, that of course means, you know, everyone and thing is significant, okay? But it also means logically that it's possible to misuse things. If everything is accidental, there's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference, how we behave in the world, what we do with our bodies, what we do with the creation, doesn't matter, ultimately. But if these are gifts of love, it's possible to misuse a gift and therefore offend the giver. I don't mean to depress anyone in saying this, but... This becomes crucial to understanding Christianity. It's precisely because there is a father who has birthed all things into existence, including us, that when we defy that creator, the giver, there is a kind of profound offense that, you know, the Bible calls sin, but think of it as just our wronging the maker. Um, in our Aussie culture, people often think that, you know, if there is a creator, the thing that would offend the creator is other naughty things that other people get up to. You know, um, the, the swearing too much, the overdrinking, the illicit sex. I think particularly on the North Shore. I'm, I mean, no, you know, offence here. I mean, I'm the Mossman boy who's moved all the way to Kalara, so I'm in this as well. 
we can sort of point the finger at others, you know, the uncouth, you know, the un-North Shore nice folks, and, and console ourselves that, you know, we, we couldn't possibly be a, a offending the maker. Actually, I, I put it to you that the real offence to the Almighty is knowing that there's more to life than material things, but then living like that's all there is. Accepting that, you know, ultimately things must have come from the hand of a creator and then ignoring the creator. That would surely be the ultimate offence. And I'm not just making this up uh, because um, when Jesus gave a parable to describe what he thought was a sinner, you know the image that he chose, that classic image of a son to a father. This is the famous prodigal son parable. And the sinner is the young son who said to his father, according to Jesus' hypothetical, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all that he had and set off to a distant country and there squandered his wealth. Okay, here is Jesus' picture of the sinner. Forget you've ever heard of that word sin before. You've ever had any sermons on it before. Here is Jesus trying to give us a picture of what the sinner really is. The sinner is... A child saying, I want everything you have to give me. I just don't want you. I want all the gifts. I don't want the giver. I'm off to a foreign land, thank you very much, to spend it all on myself. I analyze Jesus' parable. I just think how modern it is. And how um, modern Australia it is. Because we are world experts at loving the gifts and ignoring the giver. We are unusually... I mean, those of you who travel, you know, say to another materialistic country like the US, will probably agree with me that that it's actually different in the US. The US, you know, might be a, a more sort of commercial culture but we, we are far more a culture that's just so obsessed with lifestyle. A great bottle of wine and a beach house, that's it. Like we pursue that. We, we, don't, we can live without the trinkets and the, you know, the very latest big screen TV. But we want our wine. We want our you know, gourmet meal. We want our ability to go to the beach and have time off. You know, And yet, do we thank the creator for these things? Do we apologise for the misuse of these things? Are we looking for the creator's direction on how these things should be used? I don't know. I think we are classic sinners, and I'll lump myself in here as well. Uh, Some Christmases ago, I got invited to a party um, sailing around Pitwater on a giant yacht. Uh, these were friends of my wife, and they were all way above my pay grade. And uh, but it was a beautiful Christmas party where the wine was flowing, the pate was unpronounceable, and everyone was like, you know, it was la di da. And the, you know, the sun was going down, the shimmering on the water. It was just gorgeous. And I got chatting to a friend of my wife, who was telling me how wonderfully things were going in her life. She just sort of launched into this little monologue. 
Um, her husband had received a great promotion, so they were financially secure. They just bought a property on the northern beaches, so domestically secure. Uh, the kids were about to start at school in, in the February, and so she was feeling like she had some me time. She was going on and on like this, and then without any prompting from me, she said, but you know, John, sometimes I wonder if there's more. Some, I don't know, like a spiritual dimension I've never really thought about much. Now, of course, my eyes lit up. And, and I don't know if that's what killed the conversation because as soon as, pretty much as soon as she'd begun this little monologue, she stopped and she said, oh, but I'm not that interested in it. Um, I, I don't want to talk about it. Do you want some more wine? And I didn't have the quick wit, you know, to turn it around. I just went, yeah, thanks. And within a second, we were back to talking about the unpronounceable pate and the beautiful wine and the shimmering of the sun on the water and all the other beautiful distractions, all the other gifts when we were this close to thinking of the giver. That, to me, is classic Australian spirituality. And that is the very definition of a sinner, according to Jesus. And so, you know, it is just as well this parable actually ends with this father receiving the son back. If you know the parable, it's gorgeous. The, the, the son realises what a fool he's been and he, te- he goes back to the father and, and we read these words while a still long way off. His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arm around him and kissed him. I mean, this is Jesus' picture of God the Father Almighty. And here we have this gorgeous picture of actually the father not just as creator, but as Redeemer, as the one who will welcome back prodigals. I'll say much more about that next week because the second stanza is all about Jesus' death and resurrection precisely to make this picture active in our lives, that we might know the embrace and forgiveness of God. But more about that next week. My point today is really simple threefold. When Christians say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, they mean that God is the source, not part of creation, but the source of creation. That therefore creation is a good gift. That's the fundamental. And that therefore it's possible to offend the giver. And the call to return to the giver I think is powerful. And certainly as this Apostles' Creed moves on, the call will be on every one of us. But that's next week. Thank you very much uh, for listening and uh, may God bless us as we ponder these things wherever we are in the journey toward or away from all this stuff. Uh, May there, at the end of this series, be real clarity about these things, these things that are shared by all Christian denominations.